Good morning. Why don't we open in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together, Lord. You work in each of our hearts. Each one of us has a personal relationship with you, which is so beautiful. And then you come and you have us share with each other so that we can see that there are no limits to how you can work in our lives. Lord, so we ask that today our hearts and ears and eyes be open so that the message today can teach us yet another thing of how you would have us be. This we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship our Lord. Good morning. You know, if you don't have a copy of this, it's the Billy Graham Hope for Each Day. What a treat, because it's my pleasure to bring you the devotion for today, Perfect Peace. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Years ago, Billy traveled to Europe to preach, and he traveled by sea. He enjoyed five days on a relatively quiet, peaceful ship ride. On one of the voyages, the captain of the United States, um, I don't know if that's the name of the ship, but he took me down to see the um, ship's gyroscope. And he had told me that when the sea is rough, the gyroscope helps keep the ship on an even keel. Though the waves may reach tremendous proportions, the gyroscope helps to stabilize the vessel and maintain a high degree of equilibrium. As he listened, he thought about how the gyroscope and the Holy Spirit are very similar. Let's the storm of life break through our heads. Let the enemy, Satan, come in like a flood. Let the waves of sorrow, suffering, temptation, and testing be unleashed upon us. Our souls will be kept on an even keel and in perfect peace when the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts. He comforts us with God's abiding presence and assures us of God's promises are true. The hope for today, the person who has doubts is tossed by every storm that comes. The person of faith, come what may, simply carries on. The Holy Spirit makes all the difference in how we handle life's trials. Oh, yeah. 
stay faithful through our troubles and our pain. So keep praying and a-working for the kingdom we will gain. Will the next one is uh, actually cut a verse short, so we're not having any righteousness today. <laughs> holiness, holiness is what I long for, holiness is what I need, holiness, holiness is what you want from
that home and sing it to the Lord with righteousness. Testament scripture today comes from Psalms 26. I declare me innocent, O Lord, for I have acted with integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives in my heart, for I am always aware of your unfailing love, and I have lived according to your truth. I do not spend time with liars or go along with hypocrites. I hate the gatherings of those who do evil, and I refuse to join in with the wicked. I wash my hands and declare my innocence. I come to your altar, O Lord, singing a song of thanksgiving and telling of all your wonders. I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious present dwells. As we say our Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
from Paul's letter to the Romans. Chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. 
Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your en enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Uh, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. And I pray today, Lord, as we uh, dig into your word, may you be honored and glorified. May each one of us, um, just as Wayne last week, heard, heard something from you, your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit so that each person in here today might hear something that adds a, a little chink in their armor, Lord, against the, the wiles of the enemy and so that we can live uh, in righteousness and holiness and faithfulness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text for today is uh, Colossians 3, 9. And actually, um, our text is just um, verses 10 and 11, but I'm going to read 9 through 14 to give because it gives you the context. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, what we're going to be talking about today is this new nature, this new self that we found in verse 10, have put on the new self. And basic Christian theology is this, that we are incapable of godly living without, unless something is done with this broken mainspring that we have. Uh, there's something deep inside of us that's, that's wrong, that's missing. And, and we, can't, we can't even in, uh, try to get out there and do what Christ wants us to do without something changing on the inside. So let's look at then verse 10. That you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, the, the word in the Greek is just, um, it actually literally in the Greek says, uh, talks about the old self, the old man, and then it says, and the new. doesn't even say new self. It, that's implied that there's a new self. We had the old self that we talked about last year, the old man, uh, the sinful nature. And then this week, about this new self. And that's what we're going to be talking about, Ephesians 4. 22 through 24 is a parallel verse. 
you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put on your new, your old self, I'm sorry, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desire. That's what we talked about last week. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so we get into um, the new covenant then. We enter into the new covenant from the old covenant. And the old covenant is there's this bridge between the old covenant and the new new covenant that we find in Jeremiah 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Okay, so here's this bridge statement in the Old Testament. We had this Old Testament law and then this bridge uh, that that there's going to be a new covenant. And here's what the new covenant is. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was husband to them, declares the Lord. The problem in the Old Testament was that they broke it. They couldn't keep it. This is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's the new covenant. That there's going to be something internal that takes place. And the problem with the old covenant was that it was external. You, you do a good job and, and you know, there were laws about how to live life. And that's what the Old Testament was for. But we see this promise of the new covenant that there will be something internal that will take place. And that we will know God personally. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So not only is there an internal work that's going to take place, but part of that is that their, their, their wickedness is going to be forgiven and their sins will be remembered no more. So here we have, even in the Old Testament, we have the New Testament being you know, kind of a foreshadowing of what's going to come. Well, then we get to the New Testament, Luke 22. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So Jesus then, at his death, He says, okay, here it is. Here's the new covenant. The new covenant is that I'm going to die for your sins. Romans 7, 6. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit. So this New Testament era, this new covenant, then is a covenant of the Spirit. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So when we come into Christ then, those, that sinful nature is crucified. Now it doesn't mean that we don't ever have to deal with it again. It's just that we now have the power that that sinful nature does not dictate to us how we ought to live. We're not slaves to the sinful nature anymore. We, are sla- we can be slaves to God. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain, 
When Jesus died, the curtain was torn in two. You remember that? And then we now have a new and living way uh, through Jesus, through that curtain, that torn curtain. It is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So here we have a new and living way and we can draw near to God in a, with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. That's the, that's the covenant that we come into as the people of God. Now in the Old Testament, the Spirit was occasional. It would come on kings and prophets and priests uh, on occasion. But in the New Testament then, the promise is that God's Holy Spirit will not just come upon us, but dwell within us. And the secret then is Christ in you. We talked about this in chapter 1, Colossians 1.27. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the, the key to our, the Christian life is that Christ dwells within us. Um, <laughs> That's, that's the whole difference. And that's the difference between us and those out in the world. And that's the difference between us and our old former way of life. We didn't have the Holy Spirit. But now we have Christ by his Spirit dwelling within us. Colossians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Do you realize that, that you've been crucified with Christ... And you no longer live, but Christ lives within you. That's our secret, folks. Lauren Daigle um, has a song, uh, and maybe you've heard it. It's once and for all. And it goes like this. I won't sing it to you because I don't, <laughs> I don't want you walking out. Um, God, I give you all I can today, these scattered ashes that I hid away. I lay them all at your feet. From the corners of my deepest shame, the empty places where I've worn your name. Show me, the, show me the love I say I believe. Oh Lord, help me to lay it down. Oh Lord, help me. Oh Lord, I lay it down. And then this phrase. Oh, let this be where I die. All right. Now, I'm not dying physically, but let this be where that old sinful nature is put to death. My Lord, with thee crucified. Be lifted high as my kingdoms fall, once and for all, once and for all. Uh, beautiful song to start with, but I won't sing it for you. And then Colossians, back to our, our text then, Colossians 3.10, that we put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, this is what we call regeneration. In, are we okay there? Yeah, we're there. We're good. Um, it could be a little bit darker, couldn't it? We'll do it darker next time. Um, it's the whole process that we talk about in, in theology of regeneration. John 3.3, 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And that whole, that phrase, to be born again, that means that we are born from above. Uh, that heaven enters into our lives, and we become, you know, when we become Christians, Something happens on the inside of us, 
and it's a new life that, that we inherit from that which is heavenly in that which is earthly, us. We inherit a whole new nature. And that's the process we call regeneration. And this is a process that God does for us. We receive Christ, and then Christ, in, um, in, we inherit with that, we inherit a new nature, and we are regenerated. Without that, <clears throat> we're back to the New Old Testament. Isn't that right? That's what we just talked about in Jeremiah 31. That if, it's, if the Christian life is just do a good job, try harder, well then there's no difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament and those who don't know Christ and those who do know Christ is that we have Christ dwelling within us, we are regenerated, we have a brand new nature. Now that's a mystery. All right, we, we don't understand that. Um, I, you know, I've tried really hard, uh, after writing two volumes on all this stuff, tried really hard to understand what it means that we have a new nature. Um, and I confess to it, I still haven't, I still haven't figured it out, because it's a mystery. But something happens on your inside that God mysteriously takes up residence in you. Now, where is, he, where is that? Well, it says in the heart, okay. I, I don't get it. I mean, I don't, I don't get what it is and how we describe it and all, but we do know that there is a radical difference between the pre-Christian person and the Christian person. And that difference is we've been regenerated. We have a new nature. Something has radically changed in our lives. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So do you realize that as believers, you are a brand new creation? That which wasn't before is now. You're not, and you know, sometimes, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I became a Christian three years ago. And, and, uh, and we go, wow. And God looks at that and God says, you were absolutely transformed three years ago. You went from death to life. You went from the old covenant to the new covenant. You went from having, you know, being on your own and being a slave to sin to being a child of God. Man, you know, I, I'm just... I'm blown away when I begin to think about it, what God has done in us. I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. We didn't just become Christian. We're born again. We have, we have this radical change that has taken place within us. Our inner being is fundamentally different. We are absolutely different in essence than we were before. We now respond with an active spirit within us, not through the old sinful nature. We now have the ability, because of the new nature, to say no to what once totally controlled us, that is our sinful nature, and yes to that which is from heaven, the new man, the new nature. All things have become new. The caterpillar has become a butterfly. We've gone through what we call metamorphosis. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. And this, this word that uh, to be transformed is the word in the Greek, metamorpho, which is exactly the, the word that we get, we, we take that from English, uh, I mean, the English comes from the Greek, <laughs> let's get the order right here, the, and, um, and out of that we get the word metamorphosis. Now what is metamorphosis? Metamorphosis is this little caterpillar goes into a cocoon and spins that cocoon and so on, and then emerges as a butterfly, a totally, totally different creature. Um, the dictionary defines metamorphosis as a change in the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. Okay, so you were metamorphosized, you were, you, 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 were, you went in as a cocoon, in the, into that cocoon, and you emerged as a butterfly. I don't know about you, but I like butterflies. <laughs> I think they're really pretty, and I think Christians are pretty. <laughs> I, you know, God has done an incredible work. John Stott says this. He says, beware of placing our Lord as teacher instead of Savior. That tendency is prevalent today and is a dangerous tendency. We must know him first as Savior before his teaching can have any meaning for us or before it can have any meaning other than that of an ideal which leads to despair, okay? If we know what to do and we don't have the power to do it, all it does is lead us to despair. We try and try and try and we can't seem to pull it off. Fancy coming to men and women with defective lives and defiled hearts and wrong mainsprings and telling them to be pure in heart. What's the use of giving us an ideal we cannot possibly attain? We're happier without it. Isn't that right? We're, I mean, it's just better if we, if we don't know what's right. That's a whole lot better if we can't do it. If Jesus is a teacher only, then all he can do is tantalize us by erecting a standard we cannot come anywhere near. But if by being born again from above, we know him first as Savior, we know that he did not come to teach us only. He came to make us what he teaches, what he teaches we should be. You know, when I was, uh, when I was growing up, I went to an Episcopal church, and... Um, and the, the rector taught, um, you know, really liked teaching from the Gospels and so on, but he didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. All right, and I didn't know Jesus, and I don't probably very few in that congregation knew Jesus. And what he did was he taught what Jesus taught, but he didn't, never taught that you had, to have a, you had to have salvation, you had to be born again in order to do those things. Imagine a lot of you grew up in churches like that, didn't you? I mean, you know, uh, you know, try harder and do better and be a better person. Well, that's no good if we don't know Jesus as Savior. Jesus didn't just point out the right path and tell us where to go. He took us by the hand to lead us there and gave us the power to get there. That's what it means to be a Christian. So, let's... 
complete verse 10 then, have put on the new self, that's what we've been talking about, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So it's being renewed in knowledge. And again, we go back to Romans 12 too, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So all of this takes place, first of all, in the renewing of our minds. That's why the Word of God is so incredibly important, is that we have to have our minds renewed if we, are going to, if we are going to be renewed on the inside. It has to start with the mind. And then it says, in the image of its creator. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We who with, the, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed, same word there, metamorphosized, into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, we are not just being transformed, we are being transformed into the image of Jesus, so that we look like him, we think like him, we feel like him, that every part of our being becomes more like Jesus. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says this, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I don't know about you, but I, you know, I have heard that phrase so many times. Everybody quotes verse 29, 28. But then 29 follows, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. So when it says that God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, what is that good? The good is that we are, we are increasingly resembling Jesus. And we're becoming more like him. We're moving toward an end in our character to be made more like Christ. So, being a Christian is not that we're kept from difficulty, because all of us have lots of difficulties. And we don't become Christians in order to escape difficulty. In fact, sometimes it's even more. But rather that God uses the difficulties to make us more like Jesus. That's what, that's what the purpose of our life is, is to look more like Jesus. The more we look like Jesus, the more we can lead people to Christ. They look at us and they say, oh, that's what a Christian is supposed to look like. Now, our culture, you know, one of the main, I, I think, problems in our culture is this, this secular culture that we live in these days, uh, increasing secularization, and one of the problems with that, you know, first of all, is that there are no moral absolutes. So, you know, whatever happens, you know, whatever, you, you do your thing and I'll do my thing and, and neither of us is wrong. You know, it's just, uh, it's all relative and so on. But another part of that is that because we, there are, you know, this, this relativism and the whole kernel of it, the essence of that, is that they believe that there's no God. Well, if there's no God, then there's no image into which we are being conformed. And part of the problem with our culture today is that people don't know what a good person is supposed to look like. Now, what, what is a good person? Well, well, somebody is really nice to get along with and so on. You know, he's a good neighbor and so on. Well, well you know, great. That's, that's nice stuff. But but we as Christians, we have, we have an image. We know where we're heading. And we know what a good person is. A good person looks like Jesus. 
And, and, and not only do we know it, but God is taking us there. That's what our lives are like. We're being conformed, transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So we know that there are, we aren't there yet, but we do know what goodness looks like, and we have a hope that we're in the process of getting there. And that's what, but wait, it's so sad for me to see people honestly don't know what a good person is supposed to be like. I mean, if you grow up in a family and there's no, you know, good character exemplified in the family and you don't see it and you had lousy teachers and so on, you don't have anybody that you can look at and say, I want to become like that. But we as Christians, no matter what, you know, what kind of past we had, we have Jesus. We can look at Jesus and say, that's what God is doing in me. That's what I want to be like. Furthermore, we are a new society. These new people are put into a new society. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So this new self then is put into a new society of people that are like us. And that's what we're doing here today. We are new people, new selves, born again with a new nature, and we're put together so that we can encourage each other to walk in the way, in the way of Christ. And the problem with the sins of desire and disunity that we talked about last week is that they break the unity and fellowship between segments of the Christian community. That's the problem. The sinful nature divides people. The Spirit of God brings people together. And so it says here, the old distinction between people, Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, male or female, are broken down. We as believers are on an equal footing. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. You ever heard that expression before? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. That is, it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status was, what your education was, um, you know, what kind of background you had, which side of the tracks you, you came from. When we come to Jesus, the ground is level. We're all, we're all in the same boat. And, and I, I'm not saying that, you know, God takes all those, all those away in, in terms of, you know, wanting to be with people like, like us and that kind of thing. But at the foot of the cross, it, it all dissolves away and we're all one in Christ. Christ is all and is in all. Identity emerges as Christians, not from one's ethnicity, heritage, status, but from Christ and Christ alone. And, you know, that's the wonderful thing of the church. You know, I hear all the time, you know, that, uh, about all the divisions that there are in society. But then you come to the church, and all those, are, all those are melted away. Thales, a Greek mathematician, astronomer, and pre-Socratic philosopher from Miletus in Turkey, present-day Turkey, was one of the seven sages of Greece. One time he offered thanks to fortune. Um, so he was, a, he was a secular philosopher. First, that I was born a human being and not one of the brutes. Next, that I was born a man and not a woman. <laughs> Thirdly, a Greek and not a barbarian. <laughs> all right? And so, you know, all of those things are, are melt away in the church, don't they? 
There were deep divisions in Greek society, and there are deep divisions in our society as well. Barbarians was a common slur by Greeks for those who didn't speak Greek. All right? So they, those that didn't speak Greece, Greek, it sounded like babbling to them, bar, 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 so they called them barbarians. All right? So they were those non-Greeks. So what is important now is character, not our position in society. In the new society, we find our worth in Christ alone. We take our worth from the fact that the creator of the universe loves us completely, that he's adopted us as his sons and daughters, that we're members of his family, and we have a seat of his <coughs> at his table, and that one day we will reign with him in glory. That's who we are. We're a new creation. Dr. Martin Luther King, in his speech, I have a dream, he said this. And so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation, now listen to this, where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That's who we are in Christ. That all of those other distinctions um, they, you know, they're not important. What's important is our character. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about the new self, is that what is important now is character, not where we came from, not our background. And that's where we get to in verse 12. And we're just going to look at this very briefly today and, and then next, uh, actually three weeks from now, we'll look at it in more depth. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Now, here, here's what this new self looks like, okay? Just, and these are some of the characteristics. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. So that's what... God is doing. God is creating in us this new man to look like Jesus. And that new Jesus, in that new Jesus then, we have compassion, we have kindness, we have humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with each other, loving each other, and so on. And we'll be, you know, we'll be unpacking more of that later on. But I want to just finish by... Um, encouraging you that God has transformed you from a caterpillar into a butterfly. So let's learn how to fly. <laughs> All right? <laughs> and you're a new creation with a new nature. And it produces new fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You've been placed in a new society which is transforming the world. And we praise God for it. And we celebrate what God has done in us. May God bless you.
Um, I want to I want to just um, hold this up before you. This is um, I recommend this book. This is how Christianity changed the world. Um, the narrative that we that we hear so many times from our you know from the media and so on is that Christianity has always uh, destroyed culture. And this is a sociologist, Alvin Schmidt, and he goes into how Christianity has changed the world, goes in and gives all kinds of examples of how Christianity uh, made things better, not worse. So I'd really recommend this to you, how Christianity changed the world. God bless you.
love it. Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the growth where you turn us through metamorphosis from a being that is full of sin to one that has been forgiven. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. This we say in Jesus' name, amen. 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 God be with you still we